This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Performance Anxiety Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I am your host, Mark, and this is a really cool episode. My guest today is Mike Leonard. He plays guitar for the Magnolias, but that's not what we're discussing today. Almost 30 years ago, Mike was in a band called The Bleeding Hearts with Bob Stinson of The Replacements. Mike tells me how he got into music and how The Bleeding Hearts formed. He also tells me about how he got Bob to join the band. It wasn't exactly easy... But once he did, Bob went all in, including moving in with Mike. That, in part, led to the band getting time in the studio and label interest. But soon after the sessions were over, trouble started brewing. Mike talks about all of this and why it took 29 years for the album to come out. Check out the album Riches to Rags on Bar None Records, especially if you like straight-up rock and roll. Pick it up from Bar None or wherever you get music. There may still be some vinyl left. Follow us at Performance ANX on Instagram and Twitter. Rate, review, and support the show through merch at performanceanx.threadless.com or ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. And check out all the other great shows on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Let's not keep you waiting anymore for Mike Leonard of the Bleeding Hearts on Performance Anxiety. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, rolling. Hey, this is Mike Leonard. Oh. Hey, this is Mike Leonard. I'm on Performance Anxiety. I'm with uh, the Bleeding Hearts and the Magnolias. Um, we have the Bleeding Hearts record, Riches to Rags, coming out. Um, so go out to your local record store and, and pick it up. 30 years in the making. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, I've, I've, been, um, yeah, I've been listening to the podcast. So Oh, cool. Uh, um, listen to another one today, actually. So yeah, it's very cool. Oh man, thank you. I appreciate you checking it out. Yeah, been very fortunate with this thing. I've had some amazing folks on, so I'm very, very, very blessed. But you're one of the more unique ones because I think this is the first time I've had a guest on whose album is coming out 30 years after you recorded it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's unusual. <laughs> so very treasure. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanna I, I wanna to get into that, I wanna kinda wanna find out how we got how you got to that point and how we came to a thirty year delay in the release. So what I wanna find out is, is really how music made an impact on you in the beginning. Was there music in the house? Was were your parents musical or was it something that you discovered on your own? 
Well, yeah, it's kind of, I would, I would say it was more, more something I discovered on my own when I was really little, like, I don't know, probably five or six. I remember seeing the show on, came on TV in the mid seventies called the roots of rock and roll. Okay. And uh, so that was kind of like the first, first exposure to it, like seeing Elvis and the, and Rolling Stones and stuff like that. And, and I, one, one scene that kind of stuck out to me was there was, and I've, I've searched and searched for this scene, like to find it like on YouTube ever since I've never been able to, I've never seen it again, but I can still remember it from when I was a little kid. They show Mick Jagger and he says, the best Rolling Stones cause madness. And then I remember I was watching with my parents and like right after, right after Mick Jagger said that, I looked at my dad and my dad said, I don't like him. And then it was like, it was just like, boom, you know. Now I love him. I have to, I have to know everything about this guy. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh, you know, that's the best way to, to get into a kid's heart is to make your parents hate them. That came out wrong. Right. The best way for an artist to get to the kids is to have the parents hate them. That's, I think that's what I was trying to say. So, right. so, so the Stones were a big, an early favorite for you then. Yeah. I, I mean, actually, I, I, I forget how that worked. It was like the first r record I ever bought was an Elvis Presley record. Okay. I think it was easier to get, get my parents to buy in on that. Cause my, my mom actually had, had, been an Elvis fan in college and seen Elvis in concert, like in 59. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was able to kind of talk her into letting me buy an Elvis record, you know, when I was, <laughs> I don't I said it was, I was like first grade or something. Um, <laughs> nice. So yeah, I went through a little Elvis phase and then um, the monkeys and, you know, that kind of thing. Oh. Watching the monkeys, you know, was a big thing. Yes. Um, I love the monkeys. Yeah. Well, then let's see. When we moved, I new new neighborhood. It was went through a Beach Boys phase, um, and then and then discovered Kiss, and that <laughs> that kind of took me all the way up through sixth grade, I think. And that my first concert was seeing Kiss, like in '79. Wow. On the, on their Dynasty tour. Oh man. Yeah. Man, for so for your, your parents not liking the Rolling Stones and going to see her. His concert's pretty good, right? <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> so when that it... was the that, that was the kiss of death, though. As I remember, like uh, when when I, I bought Dynasty the day it came out, and uh, my mom let me play it on my dad's nice stereo, <laughs> and uh, I remember my mom saying she she liked that record better because it had more of that disco feel, and I was just like, oh, this is awful. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, as soon as the parents start to like it, you know, then it's like time to move on to something. Yeah, exactly. That's the death knell. Jeez, and then bring disco into it. Man, yeah, that that was like salt in the wound. Man, yeah. So, when did you start playing instruments? And was guitar the first instrument that you played? Yeah, I pretty much guitar. I wanted to play guitar. Um, I had taken some rudimentary piano lessons with my sister we, it was funny we kind of like signed up for these piano lessons from seemed like it was kind of like a, a snake oil salesman um <laughs> pretending to be a, a piano teacher 
and we, we went like two or three times and, and, you know, we, we kind of show our mom what we were, what he was teaching us. And, and, it, and it was just like, I don't think this guy's a real piano teacher. So, <laughs> uh, so I didn't, I, that's about as far as I went with formal piano training. And then, and then I was able to talk my parents into letting me start guitar and I wanted to play electric guitar. Um, and we went to the, the Schmidt music and they were, and, they were talking to the people there and they're, they were, we recommend that he starts on acoustic guitar. And it was yeah. like, it made no sense to me because, you know, like acoustic guitar, it's got a, it's got a thicker neck than a, an electric guitar. I mean, for a little kid, it would be easier really to play electric guitar, but yeah, I, I, I kind of started out, you know, doing the acoustic guitar, learning like folk songs and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. I remember like, learning like Scarborough fair. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, and then, and then finally, finally got an electric guitar though. Then a few years later, I I must've been like seventh, maybe seventh grade or sixth or seventh grade. Started playing electric. Yeah. When did you start playing in bands? Um, I started probably just kind of jamming with people in, in junior high, uh, like eighth grade ish, okay. eighth, ninth grade. Yeah. You know, I would not, not really a formal band until, you know, until a couple of years later, but just a lot of basement, basement <laughs> jamming. <laughs> yeah. And this is, you're from like the Minneapolis area then, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's yep. suburb of Edina. You had a whole bunch of uh, Minneapolis punk bands to draw from. Yeah. Um, and, and one of my, one of my pals in high school, his older brother was, was already kind of playing in bands in Minneapolis. And so we kind of, we kind of peered into that life through him. Um, he was in a band called bad trip and, uh, we were kind of, we were, we were kind of sharing the same basement with his older brother and, and would see those guys practice from time to time. And, um, I think they played, I think they might've even played like with the replacements a few times. Oh, wow. Um, and that, that's kind of how we, that was kind of how we, we found, you know, learned about those cool, the cool bands, like, you know, the replacements and Husker Du and, yeah. and Suicide Commandos. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, Curtis A. Yeah. So how, how old were you when you actually started going out and playing gigs? <sighs> um, Eighteen, nineteen, um, yeah. It's uh, trying to. I was in this. The first band I was ever in that played an official gig was it was was this band called Midwest Pop Experience. Oh wow! We played the Seventh. Yeah, and we played the Seventh Street entry on a new band night, and it was you know kind of me and some guys I met at at a cooking job, you know, I was, I worked in the kitchen for like 10 years out of high school. Oh, wow. Um, so that was kind of, that was the, the first taste of it, you know, playing, playing the seventh street entry. And, okay. um, but then, you know, shortly after that, that didn't last very long. And shortly after that, um, me and me and my high school pal, Bob Herbers just we were kind of set out on starting our own band again. And that eventually evolved into the Bleeding Hearts um, after a couple of years and several 
lineup changes. Okay. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. So the, I guess the recording version, that's Bob Herbert and Rob Rubella. Was was Rob one of the original members or was he one of the guys that, that uh, cycled in a little later on? Um, actually, on the record, it's it's not Bob Herbert. It's uh, Pat McKenna. Um, oh, okay. So Pat McKenna, Pat McKenna joined the band after Bob Stinson joined the band. And, uh, but Rob Rubello, who's on the record, um, he was actually kind of an original member. It was funny because it's kind of hard to keep track of all this stuff from, from like 30 years ago, but yeah. he had, he, he, had, um, he was actually from Hawaii and he moved, he moved to Hawaii for a while. Like, so like he was in the band when we started it and then he, then he left and he moved to Hawaii for a while. And I think wow. I, um, he recently reminded me that I like, called him and said, you know, we got Bob Stinson in the band. Now you got to come back. You know, it's, <laughs> um, and so eventually he came back from, he moved back to Minneapolis from Hawaii and, Ooh. and, you know, rejoined the band. And wow. Um, that's dedication. Bob Stinson. Yeah. Yeah. He left Hawaii to play to, with Bob Stinson. Yeah. To go back to Minneapolis, man, that's, that's some dedication. <laughs> So how how did you meet up with Bob Stinson and and start playing with him? Um, well, let's see. So sh- shortly after I, I moved to Uptown, probably like a ninety early nineties, like nineteen ninety or it might have been ninety one, and I lived just down the street from the Uptown Bar. So I I kind of started hanging out there quite frequently and. Uh, Bob Stinson, you know, was a regular there. His, his, his mother, uh, Anita, um, was at work there, okay. um, in the daytime. And, uh, so I just started, you know, I would start, I started seeing Bob all the time and, um, and, uh, kind of became, became, you know, became acquaintances. I, you know, he was, he's like 10 years older than me. So I was kind of like this, you know, sort of, I don't know. 
I might have been I might have been like an annoying kid to him at first, you know, when I, when I first started talking to him. But uh, so yeah, we we the Bleeding Hearts were playing, you know, already and and had uh, had already played Gates Out of Town. You know, we're you know okay. we've been going for a while, and um, and and the guitar player that had been playing with us kind of abruptly left. Oh, and uh, you know, kind of like a light bulb went off. Is like, I should get, I should get Bob Stinson to play guitar, for, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I approached Bob, and by this point, you know, I we had we had a little bit of a rapport at that point. Um, and I was pitching the idea of of him playing with us, and you know, he he was kind of reluctant at first, and. Um, we, you know, we eventually were able to kind of drag him down to the practice space to try playing with us. And, um, the first, the first time we got together, it didn't, it didn't kind of click right away. He, um, he was, he kept suggesting that we get this other guy to play guitar. He thought that he thought would be perfect for, for our band. Oh, man. Um, and, and we were like, no, Bob, we want you, we want you. you know? and, <laughs> and, uh, after, after like 45 minutes of, of chaos, you know, at, at the practice space, uh, we were kind of like, okay, who, who is this guy you're telling him? You know, like maybe we should, maybe we should take Bob's advice. And, and, and so we did, and we ended up, he, he introduced us to this, to this other guitar player and he ended up joining the band for about nine months. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so, so he was, and he was, he was great. And at that, that, particular guy actually moved into my apartment as well. Um, and he, you know, he was, he kind of took over my couch for about nine months and oh then, um, he, he decided to move to San Diego and, and, um, so suddenly we needed a guitar player again. And, and I think at that point, Bob had seen us a few times and, um, at this, at this point, Bob, you know, wanted to play with this and he was like, you should have me play guitar. And I was like, okay, well, and, um, so he at that point he as he kind of made an effort to try to prove himself you know after the last time didn't go so great oh wow and he um he came over to my apartment and he was you know kind of determined he, he like learned all the songs in like one night you know basically oh we gosh. went through every tune and you know he he could be like you know he played you know by ear and you know he he was pretty sharp when he when he was on, you know, like he could pick things up really quick. So, and yeah, I think he suggested then shortly after, you know, he was officially joining the band. I think it was his idea to move into my apartment. <laughs> 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 he was living in his mom's basement at the time. So oh, I wow. think shortly after that, I, I, I helped him move his stuff out of his mom's basement and over to my apartment. And uh, yeah, that's when it started. It was, had he left the the replacements at the, when you guys were playing the first time? Uh, yeah. yeah this, okay. So this would have been. So he left the replacements in what eighty six. Ah, uh, yeah, 80, I can't remember. 80, I was like eighty six. Okay. Uh, and this was this would have been like ninety one. So you know, this would have been like five years later. Oh, and okay. he had been in. He had been in. Um, he had been in. Uh, Model Prisoner, I think, was the first band he was in post replacement. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. With Sonny. And then he was, uh, 
had a band called Static Taxi for a few years. Yes. Um, and he was actually, you know what? I I saw him play with Static Taxi once or twice. I can't remember. I, 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 I saw them at the Caboose and I went I went down there and it was like a he got me into the, you know, he got me in and it was like back in the early 90s bars used to just give liquor away you know <laughs> they had, it was like a kegger it was like a kegger at the bar oh, you, wow. you get there at the beginning of the night and they, and, and they give you a plastic cup like you're at a kegger and it was like free refills the entire night oh my and God. i remember i i um i i got pretty pretty inebriated that night <laughs> <laughs> that's when you fell in love um, with static but I, yeah so that's what i, I yeah, I saw. Yeah, so I so I saw him, you know, and then shortly after that, I think he, I think that ended. I think when I, when I, when he finally joined the Bleeding Hearts, I don't think he was, he had any other, any other bands he was playing with at that, at that moment. Okay. Well, I think you stumbled upon the, the two recipes to get kids to love your band, either get your pet, get their parents to hate you or get you drunk. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the, that's the magic formula right there. One of those two things has to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. I want, I guess I kind of, I'm trying to figure out how how the timeline is is going with this. Bleeding Hearts is you guys are playing with Bob live. You, you guys are gigging at this point uh, before the recording sessions took place, right? Yeah. So this this the timeline would basically be like, I think he I think he joined in late ninety one. So like ninety one, ninety two, um, okay. and then and then. The, Spring of the spring of '93 was when we went to go make the record at Terrarium. So, okay. Um, so we did the we did like a the first session in March, and I think we recorded like eight songs that appear on the record, and then around that time we got the opportunity to play with his his brother Tommy's band, uh, Bash and Pop. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so that was that was probably beginning of '93 as well. Um, like probably around the time that we probably I'm guessing around March of '93, something like that. And that's and that is also when Spin Magazine came out to do the story about about Bob and and like kind of okay. where is he now kind of story and. Um, so we, you know, so Charles Aaron flew out. He was at the Bash and Pop show, and you know, he interviewed he interviewed Bob and me at the CC Club, and then and then he got together with Bob, um, with just him and Bob, um, one or two times more, and that's when Bob kind of <laughs> said some things to him that like got in the article that. <laughs> 
kind of tank the article. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the article that kind of got you the the, uh, recording session, though? Uh, Was it Sunshine Dunham from Fiasco, right? Right. How did that whole thing come about? Yeah, so, um, well, like I said, I I, I believe we had... um, I don't remember if we rec- had just recorded the, that done that first session and then the spin article happened, but, but basically um, she was flying from LA. I think I can't remember. She's flying from LA back to Kansas, um, but she was in the, the plane when she saw the spin article and, and she like, I'm going to call, I'm going to call these guys. And, and <laughs> um, she somehow got my number. I, I think she ended up calling my apartment from the plane. Oh my god! And, um, I was I was I wasn't home, and Bob picked up the phone, and so Bob she talked to Bob, and the next thing you know, I'm I'm you know Bob's telling me I just talked to this girl Sunshine, she's gonna sign us to a contract. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but I yeah, but that so yeah, all of that was in the aftermath of the of the spin article, and then. Sure enough, she um, she flew to Minneapolis, and we ended up signing with Fiasco Records. And um, she uh, then paid for the second session in August of '93. Um, okay. And we went back and recorded like five more songs, uh, and then and finished, you know, finished everything, mixed it, and um, all that was all done and. August, yeah, August of ninety three. Okay, right, so I've got a. I guess before we go on any further, I have a question about something I saw. I did see a Bleeding Heart song on an album, uh, "Swingin' Party," a musical nod to the Replacements, that came out in ninety seven. Was that part of those sessions? Or was that something that happened after? Was that recorded with Bob or after he had passed? That was um, after, yeah, and that was after he had passed. I think that was a benefit. Yeah. But yeah, that was a live, that was like a live show that got recorded and released. Okay, Um, okay. So yeah, that was post-Bob, and it was separate from the sessions. Uh, But yeah, that's cool that you saw that you saw that. Yeah, oh yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about socks for a second. Why not? It's a music podcast. But I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbait. Wait, Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran owned company. They have a huge variety of styles. So check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet and help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. That was the richest to rags. I guess the two sessions combined. Was that your first experience in the studio or had you done stuff before that? 
Um, actually, no. The yeah. So the Bleeding Hearts had done a three song demo. Probably it was. God, it might have been nineteen. Oh, it's probably ninety one, early ninety one. Okay. Um, and that was at Underground Studios, which was at that time was owned by Tommy Roberts, and we did that with drummer Bob's older brother Tommy or, or Tom. <laughs> Tom Herbert's recorded that. Oh, cool. Everyone's a Tom or a Bob. Yeah, I know yeah. that we got so, Bob. Yeah, we, we, we kind of like. Yeah, right. So we made like, uh, yeah, and that was kind of, you know, we never released that either. That was kind of more demo-ish quality. Um, but yeah, and then then I when I approached uh, Tommy Roberts about doing the record at um, at at that point he was he was engineering it and producing at Terrarium. Oh, okay. Is, uh, that studio is still going. Actually, they, it's in a different location now, but um, it's a really uh, it's a really nice, nice studio. Um, so I think it's a well record, you know, it was really well recorded for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. But after the sessions, Bob was out of the band pretty soon after that though. What, what happened? Um, well, let's see. You know, I think, I think if you go through the timeline, we were, we were kind of roommates, bandmates, um, for, for a, probably approaching like a year and a half and um you know it could be sort of volatile at times um you know bob had bob had his demons you know yeah um i was you know uh you know i was only like 21 22 years old you know so i was whatever and you know in the beginning it was great you know like you know, Bob was really into it. And, you know, we used to, we used to practice like two or three times a week. And, you know, I think as a, as a band, we got really, you know, we got really tight and, uh, and, you know, we had a lot of good times, but, you know, I think over the course of a year and a half, just kind of trying to keep Bob away from bad elements. And, and, you know, I, I kind of, it was kind of like, you know, the, dual job of being a band leader and babysitter. Yeah. You know, we kind of, we just kind of got to be, it got to be a little intense. And, you know, I think he moved out of my apartment. We had gotten into a few fights, (laughs) a couple of physical. And, uh, and then, and then he, he moved out. And then at that point, I think the last straw was we'd played it. We were playing a show at the seventh street entry. And he kind of, he went and got the, got the payment for the show and then took off. And, you know, oh. I was like, what? When I found out when I found out Bob got, took the money for the show and left, I, I was pretty, pretty pissed off, you know? So, oh, yeah. Well, um, so. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that, that was kind of the final straw, you know, like, so we ended up, you know, this was probably the fall of, 93 and and um sunshine had gotten us booked for the cmj you know music festival or whatever in new york and we oh, okay. did that but we had to, we had to have um john freeman from the magnolias fill in for bob um oh wow so that kind of that kind of took this you know the steam out of the, you know out of it where it was, i think 
a big part of the you know initial attraction to releasing the record for her was probably you know having having a having Bob Stinson on this record. And so once he was out of the band, you know, you know, it just kind of got put on the back burner. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but you kept the band going for a little while after that though. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess you brought it up that I guess that 97, we were still going as the bleeding hearts. And then, yeah. And then, it, you know, it, at some point we decided to change the name and we ended up changing the name to became F five for a while. Um, okay. But yeah, uh, probably up, I don't know, till around 98, I think it was kind of when it ended. Um, I had, I had joined the Magnolias and shortly after Bob left the group too. Um, right. This would have been like 93, 94. So, okay. Yeah. So you, you're still playing music you're in the Magnolias and, you know, you're, you've also played, uh, it looks, and that to me, I, I'm looking at this, it looks like you, you played on uh, like a, a song by Static Taxi. Is that right? We do? Oh, yeah. That, that happened when, you know, when Bob was, Bob was uh, living at my place. Um, they, they came back and approached him about playing um, on the song and they were uh, for some reason I ended up hitting it off with those guys and and uh, also ended up playing on it too yeah so oh, so alright so you've done you've done yeah. Static Taxi you've you joined the Magnolias you, you've also played in Blame the Red Flags uh, Jay Peterson but there's always these Bleeding Heart sessions with Bob Stinson that they've gone unheard where what happened to them did the did did fiasco just hold on to him and do you guys had no idea that they were still around uh, what, what I, I, i'm just curious as to how yeah. something gets hidden or forgotten about for like 29 years <laughs> well yeah i mean you know actually another another tidbit too is is funny is uh when we were recording that well riches to rags and and actually even before we were recording that in the studio Slim Dunlap used to come by and, and, you know, he came down to our practice space one time when, um, and recorded a bunch of songs of our, at our practice. And he was always really, um, really supportive of Bob, you know, super nice. And, and, and then after Bob with Stinson was out of the band, um, we, we did another three song little, whatever, recording um and slim actually slim actually helped out on that one. Oh, um, cool that one we just kind of that was sort of self-released i think we put that out on on cassette this <laughs> <laughs> is probably like 95 that's coming back <laughs> um yeah but yeah i mean in 94 the you know the magnolias moved to boston for a little while and then we came back after like six months we we actually ended up moving into a house that um sunshine had had rented um in south minneapolis and so like we were kind of all under the same roof and and you know we were we were talking about releasing it then i I remember you know the last few times i i run into bob you know he i I ran into bob one time he was sitting by lake of the isles and he had like a walkman with with a cassette of the bleeding hearts record oh wow and uh 
he was like he was like i don't you know she should just put this out you know so i mean i know that we were we had the the record was you know mixed it was it was mastered i had this guy doug wild master it um so i mean it was ready to go you know it's just it i don't know why it didn't just come out then but i guess to fast forward a few years sunshine and i remained in contact and and at one point i can't remember it it probably was the early early 2000s she gave she gave me the master tapes um back oh wow i can't remember um so i had the mat i i I still have the masters here um and and then during that time you know for over the last few years she's been saying oh i'm gonna you know we, we still gotta get this out so i mean there was it was never like uh, no one ever forgot about it you know oh, it's that's just good the question really is you know it's more a matter of how quickly 30 you know 20 29 years <laughs> 25 years, you know a quarter of a century it can go by you know pretty yeah. quick and uh you know i think you know maybe the the whole break with the pandemic kind of gave people a time to kind of get things like that done you know yeah get old old projects yeah, so she, she was on yeah right so yeah so she, she she got um and there she told me a few times you know leading up to where where she connected with the guys at bar none um that they're you know she you know i could tell it was getting kind of you know it was getting she was getting warmer you know it was like she's like kind of I'm talking to so-and-so and so-and-so and and this and that. And then finally, all of a sudden, boom, our nun's going to put it out. I was like, Oh, okay, great. You know? And, uh, and it would have actually probably, I think it was initially, I think the initial goal was for it to come out in the 2020. Wait, not wait, we're in 2022 now. Yeah. I think it was initially intended to come out last year's record store day, but then with the, you know, with supply chain and and stuff, the vinyl. um, Yeah. Yeah. You need like, I think you need more than six months, uh, lead time for vinyl now, I think. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah. yeah, I would say, I would say it it probably took more than six months for the, from the time we, you know, sent the master to go and you know, then we got a test. I think we got a test, a test print in maybe like November, November, December. Oh, wow. Um, and then I just, I just got a copy of it myself, the final record, like last week. Oh my God. So, I mean, <laughs> that's how long it, you know, just, just the, just getting a press. Jeez. Oh, um, you know, but it, I should have said it takes 30 years to get a, you know, the, to send the, you know, we sent it yeah. to the record press <laughs> in 1993 and we just, just happened to come back nine years later. 2022. Hey, see, you know, people complain about a six month wait. You've had, you've had 29 years. I don't want to hear anything from anybody yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really got into the album. It's really cool. I mean, all right, so the, the the title track "Riches to Rags" is is really good. I like that a lot. That's an awesome track. Looking for a ride down East Street. I 
what do you want is killer. I love that. But I think my favorite is Imagination. That is my favorite track. It kind of sounds like my favorite era Stones, like Sticky Fingers, Exile era Stones. I kind of get that feel from that song. I think that's why I like that the best. Yeah, no, that's definitely got the, um, well, those, those two in particular, probably the, you know, have the, the stonesiest vibe. Yeah. I mean, kind of looking back at that, at that time frame, imagination is, is, is one that just kind of, it almost seems kind of foreign to me now. Like really, how, how, you know, how, how, how I wrote that, you know, and, whatever you know it's, it's kind of got like a hot legs kind of rod stewart you know kind of <laughs> yes. <you> know. <laughs> oh, i didn't uh, think of that but yeah yeah um and bob bob kind of put his stamp on that one he was he's the one that whistles at the beginning of it <laughs> oh okay oh that's so cool <laughs> yeah so how um, how long did it have been since you actually sat down and, and listened to the music before, you know, Sunshine was like, oh, you know, we're going to put it out. I mean, was that, I mean, you said it it wasn't lost or forgotten about, but had you heard it at all recently? I mean, it, it, yeah, like you, like you said, it wasn't lost. I actually had um, a master CD that was, you know, from the mastering session, that would have been the CD that we would have used, you know, to send to, to go get, it, you know, to go get it produced and okay. replicated. So it's funny. I had one. I had a copy of it. It's funny. A bunch of people had copies of it. You know, we, <laughs> over the years, it kind of it leaked out, to, uh, uh, you know, my immediate circle of friends. So it was kind of, in a weird way, it was kind of like all my friends had it. You know, so we could we could talk about it, and everyone kind of knew it. You yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, in this tiny little bubble, but so, you know, and then, you know, there would, the Magnolias have done, you know, we'll, we'll do some of that couple of those songs here and there. And, oh, cool. Um, uh, the Red Flags did, did a couple of the songs as well as like, and, and yeah. So, and, and of course, when we, when, when it became, you know, known that we were going to put it out with Bar None, we did some work, you know, I, this would have been, little over like over a year ago now but we had one of the masters bounce to digital so we could do some um do some remixing and some some work like that on it okay yeah so i was involved you know that's when i kind of you know got to hear the original raw material um again and 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 that's also where we kind of discovered a uh I guess you could call it a lost track, which I had forgotten that we'd recorded. So there was an additional song um, that we found on the master that I, that I, that was forgotten about. Oh man. Um, And that got added, that got added onto the records. Oh, which, which track was that? 
Uh, know it all. It's on oh. side two. Okay. really cool so there were surprises yeah yeah there were definitely surprises because i i like i knew there was another i i I remember this other track that we recorded that i knew wasn't finished and then i then i discovered know-it-all was on there and it was like oh wow there's vocals on here everything (laughs) i had overdubbed a guitar solo i mean so like all everything was there i don't know why we didn't mix that one for some reason, I, I think there was something about it I didn't, I wasn't happy with at the time. But then, hearing hearing it, twenty five to twenty nine years later, <laughs> I was you know a little more forgiving. I, I don't know. Yeah, I was like, it's uh, it's fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. So when there's a twenty nine year gap between the recording and the release of an album, and one of the members has passed away, and the band isn't actually active. What do you do when, when the album actually comes out? I mean, are you, are you planning on playing any of this live with Magnolias? Are you planning on putting together a, a, a version of Bleeding Hearts and, and playing some of this live? Is, are there any plans for anything like that? Um, well, actually, it's funny that... So Pat McKenna, the drummer on, in the Bleeding Hearts... He joined the Magnolias uh, about, well, let's see. Oh, God, it's probably almost been 10 years now. Yeah, so Pat McKenna from the Bleeding Hearts is now in the Magnolias. I'm in the Magnolias. And, and then Rob Rebello, the, the, the Bleeding Hearts bass player. So we've, we've, the three of us started getting together and, and, and playing, um, I don't know, about eight months ago. Oh, cool. And, uh, and then we... And then recently, uh, recently decided, well, we might as well get John Freeman to come back and play some rhythm guitar. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like three, three, three quarters Magnolias and then <laughs> half Bleeding Hearts. <laughs> oh, that's um, great. So yeah, yeah, we're actually playing, we got, we're playing a show on Record Store Day. Um, so we have that in the works and I don't know, you know, beyond that. We'll, we'll just kind of wait and see. I guess anything could happen. Uh, yeah. But it's good to, it's, it, you know, it's good to kind of have the, the material in the, in the wheelhouse again, you know, so we can, we can break it out anytime. Yeah. And, and, you know, now that the music's out, you, you don't have to sit there and think, what if anymore? What, what if this album came out? How, <laughs> you know, it's, it's out now. People can actually hear it, it outside right. of your, your, your close knit, friends that had a, an official bootleg copy of it right <laughs> yeah uh very cool well man look, i've kept it for quite a while this is this has been fa- just fascinating this stories like this are they just blow me away i'm so intrigued by how this stuff happens how how things get recorded and then just either either put on the back burner or sometimes 
completely forgotten about for so many years. Somebody stumbles upon it and boom, hey, we should put this out. So this is just really amazing. It's such an amazing story. And I want where can people pick up the album? How can they hear it and follow Bleeding Hearts uh, to see when you, do, when you guys do play um, some live shows? Yeah, it was just actually funny. I, I just put up the uh, event page for the, that show and I was like, oh, I remember the, I, I remember the Bleeding Hearts had a MySpace page. Uh, <laughs> That's back going back. Day. So I'm probably going to have to, I'm probably going to have to like update the, the, the social media presence of the bleeding hearts at some point here, but, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but as far as how to find the record now, the record of course is, is, is a limited release, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's like 3,200, um, wow. worldwide on limited, limited edition red vinyl. Ooh. So, I mean, you know, to get the record, you gotta you gotta find a participating record store day record store that that has it. Ooh, um, it's a hunt. But my understanding is all the records are all the records are are gone. I mean, are are out to are distributed to the stores. I it looks like uh, like Rough Trade is you know saying that you can go online if you search it online. You know any inventory that's not sold after record store day I, I think you can order online okay is what it said um and then you know hopefully hopefully bar none will well, there'll, there'll be a digital release a couple months after record store day so record store okay. day is april 23rd and then i don't know if it's in june or july it, it should it should it should have uh, a digital release oh excellent um, in the summer and then hopefully uh we, we'd like to you know we'd love to see um bar none you know do another pressing you know I, I i imagine if you know another pressing were done it would be on just regular black vinyl yeah um i don't know about cds anymore i know <laughs> that, that kills me i have like 3500 of them in my house i was a big cd collector i still am yeah. I still love CDs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you don't get yeah. the big art like you do with the, with vinyl, but you can play them in your car Well, you used to be able to. I can't anymore. I got a car, a 2018 Jeep and it doesn't even have a CD player. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just got to use That's, a USB oh, really? stick. Yeah. It's, everything's now streaming or I, I got to put everything on a USB on like a thumb drive. Oh, wow. New cars, new cars on so new cars don't come with cd players anymore no mine didn't at least wow. that killed me i didn't even... i have a, I have a 2008 i have a, my i have a 2008 jeep wrangler and it, it uh um it had a great stereo i had actually i had to replace the stereo um a couple years ago oh man but, playing bleeding so hearts I have too a CD player in the car. Man, my yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i just it's it mine's i got a 2018 compass and uh it's yeah, it's nothing. It, it's all streaming or you know aux inputs. So I got I got a, a, all kinds of stuff on a USB bunch of USB drives and play it that way. Which that's not as fun. It is it is available. So you haven't it, heard it on. You haven't heard it on. No, I haven't. And, and unfortunately, I have a turntable, but I think my son took it because I don't know where it is, and I don't I don't even know if I have something I can play it on. Any any of the vinyl I get is all collectible. I don't really have a whole lot of uh, vinyl that I can play. 
So I, I get nervous playing vinyl now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have I got three kids and two dogs in the house. That, <laughs> so I'm afraid to play vinyl. I'm afraid I'm gonna, something's gonna run in, into it and scratch it. Scratch it. Yeah. Oh. Well. Yeah, I've got a. I had to get this like preamp for my new turntable, and because. Uh, you know, like modern day receivers don't tend to not have like phono inputs in yeah. them. And uh, so I had to, so I had to get this, get this little preamp and uh, the preamp, <laughs> the preamp, I, it, it plays, I mean, the records are playing fine, but it's like at, at like about half the volume of anything else that I'd play through the receiver. So it's like, Oh, wow. I don't know. I mean, I, it's not playing at a volume that I would like to listen to a record at. Um, uh, yeah. It's probably loud enough maybe for some people, but I don't know. My, my turntable is one of the ones my yeah, mom got it for me a couple of years ago because I had some vinyl that I wanted to convert so I could listen to it in my car. It was stuff that ha- I just hadn't been put out on CD or digitally or anything like that. And it's before I, I knew how to pull stuff off of YouTube and all. But, but, um, it's got a, it's a USB, but I don't know the quality really. I, I just, I just, I don't know. I, I haven't used it in a while. So I, like I said, I think my son has it. He's into all old tech. Mm. He, he loves, he's got, he's got a stereo system that he built up from some parts and it's all like from the seventies and he's, he cracks me up. So his, when I was growing up and I got my first car, I was like, I just I just want a V8. I want a big engine, and I want to just tear ass around town. My son, his requirement was, I want a cassette player. Okay. In the car? Yeah. So we found a 99 Chrysler oh, Sebring, okay. and it, it had CD and cassette, and he's thrilled. So. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, I, was, I want to thank you. I know I've kept you for over an hour at this point, I believe. So thank you so much for spending all this time with me and, and telling me this amazing story. This is just, like I said before, this is just, it's such a wild story that, that stuff gets put on hold for almost 30 years. It just, it blows me away. <laughs> it, it blows me away too. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, waiting 30 years kind of sucks. <laughs> but, well, you know, at least we're still here. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs>